Grace and peace be with you from the Lord Jesus Christ. I encourage you to open to the book of Romans, chapter 3, and there you will find our sermon text for this evening. I want to say uh, at the outset that last week's sermon did not end as I had originally planned. And I want you to know that as I had originally planned it, I was going to talk to you about the first membership vow and drive in the point that we are all sinners under God's wrath apart from Christ. And my inclination as a preacher was to leave you wallowing in that for a whole week. And then Sunday afternoon, I was conscience stricken. And so I went to my office and revised the sermon. I told Bo that I'm going to add four lines to this sermon. And, and they were four gospel lines, but it was by way of bridging us uh, to uh, the sermon for today. A gospel preacher should never leave the people of God wallowing in their sins and misery. And so last week, if you were here, you heard at the very end of the sermon that Jesus Christ is the answer to our problem. He is the solution to our dilemma. And today we are going to see that in, in all of its glory and majesty, at least as much as can shine forth in one sermon. In Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 23, we hear what many scholars, many theologians and pastors would consider to be the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ explained to us in very clear terms. And so we'll get to that in just a moment. Last week, we started going over the five membership vows from the Book of Church Order, five vows which all new members are required to take. And I just want to remind you that if you're already a member of this congregation, we are not asking you to take these five vows. We believe and know that you are faithful and devout members of this congregation. But we are simply asking you, along with new people who the Lord will send our way, to take these vows seriously, just as seriously as we will ask new people when they come our way. As I mentioned last week, we are covering one vow a week for five weeks. And by way of reminder, those vows are printed for you on the back of your worship order. You'll notice that the first three vows deal with our relationship to Jesus Christ. And the last two vows deal with our commitment and relationship to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is to one another. The first vow we looked at, we covered last week, was this. Do you acknowledge yourself to be a sinner in the sight of God, justly deserving his displeasure and without hope, save in his sovereign mercy? Once a person says yes to that question, then we move them on to the second vow which we will cover this evening. And the second vow is this. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of sinners? And do you receive and rest upon Him alone for your salvation as He is offered to you in the gospel? Now, in order to answer yes to that question, a person needs to know that he is a sinner, but a person also needs to know that Jesus is the Savior. In other words, a person needs to know who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for him, not just in the abstract. 
And when you look at that question, you'll see that it means knowing and believing that Lord means that he is sovereign over all people, place, and time. Jesus means that he is the Savior of sinners, that Christ means he is the Spirit-anointed ruler of God's people. The Son of God means that he is God's only begotten Son and the representative and King of God's people. Savior means that he is the only one who can rescue sinners from sin, death, and wrath, and that sinner means someone who has broken God's law and deserves death and judgment. In other words, we don't simply want to ask the question without defining and explaining the terms. We want people to know the substance of what we are asking them about. Now, with all of that in mind, I want us to turn our attention to the book of Romans. Our sermon text for today is Romans 3, 21 to 30. If you are willing and able, I invite you to please stand for the reading of God's holy word. And God's word reads... But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of law. Is God the God of Jews only? Or is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one. He will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. And that is the word of the Lord. May God add his blessings to the reading, the preaching, and the hearing of his word. And all the church says, Amen. you may be seated. <clears throat> now last week in our sermon, we saw that in the book of Romans, God reveals his eternal power and his divine nature through the light of creation, the light of conscience and the light of the canon of Scripture. God's light is clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, in the creation, in conscience, and in the canon of Scripture, so that all are without excuse. No one can argue, no one can certainly argue convincingly that they didn't have the light, or they didn't have enough light, or they never saw the light, Everyone must confess sooner or later that they saw the light, the light was there, but they just didn't like it. Paul's argument is that is why we darken and dim God's light in our life, and we do it by our own disobedience and by our own disbelief. 
And so the conclusion of the matter is that all are under sin, whether you are Jew or Gentile, whether you're religious or not religious, all are under sin. Our shorter catechism explains it this way. I put together a few statements from uh, 17, 18, and 19, but it explains our situation like this. The fall brought mankind into an estate of sin and misery. The sinfulness of that estate whereinto man fell consists in the guilt of Adam's first sin, the lack of original righteousness, the corruption of his whole nature, which is commonly called original sin, together with all actual transgressions which proceed from it. All mankind by their fall lost communion with God are under his wrath and curse and so made liable to all the miseries of this life to death itself and to the pains of hell forever. That is a very nice summary of what Paul has described in Romans 1, 2, and 3. So the question for us is, what can we do? What can we do, if anything at all, to escape the judgment of God? Is there anything we can do to change God's mind or change God's verdict about us? Since we are all sinners, is there any way we can fix our wrongs and make things right? Is there any way that you and I can give right with God? Well, you can tell by the nature of those questions that those questions are extremely self-centered, man-centered. What can I do? Is there anything I can fix? Here's a better question. Look at this from another angle. Is there anything that God is willing and able to do for you to make things right? That's the question we need to be worried about. Well, the answer to all of these questions is actually revealed in the text we just read from Romans chapter 3. It starts like this. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested, shown forth, made clear. In the Greek, this phrase is even more emphatic, more explicit. It reads like this. Now, but apart from law... The righteousness of God is manifested. When Paul talks about the righteousness of God being manifested, made clear, revealed, he is referring to the light of Christ. The light of Christ which shines brighter and clearer than the light of creation, than the light of conscience, or even the light of the canon of Scripture. Paul is referring to the fact that God has revealed one final light, and that is the light of Christ. How we are going to see, or here we are going to see how God, apart from the law, apart from sinful man, both provides for us and reveals to us a way to make sinners right with Him in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Well, we've spent enough time between last Sunday evening and the introduction to this sermon this evening listening to the bad news about our sin. I want to spend the rest of our time together this evening allowing you to hear the good news of how God is the one who makes sinners right with Him through the person and work of Jesus Christ. In theological terms, we're going to center on a very important word, and that word is justification. 
Paul says that God is the just and the justifier who justifies sinners. God is the one who makes sinners right with him. How does he do this? Well, we're going to look at five things in this text, and the first one is this. We have the knowledge of justification revealed to us in verses 21 and 22. There we read that the law and the prophets bear witness to the righteousness of God. The knowledge of justification comes to us by means of the Word of God alone. Or as the Reformers like to put it, it comes to us sola scriptura. It comes to us in God's Word alone. So we don't have to guess or imagine or experiment or form a committee or try to figure out how God makes us right with Him. We simply need to pay attention to the Word of the Lord. Jesus Christ, the Word of God, which reveals to us the gospel of Christ, which is the power of God for salvation. The scriptures alone are the only rule to direct how we may glorify God and enjoy Him. They are the only thing that reveals to us what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. And that is why Paul builds his case for the gospel of Christ on the law and the prophets, not against them or in contrast to them, but from them. And let me give you an example of how this might look. The law says in Genesis 15 that Abraham believed the Lord and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. So in the law we have the revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ that God justifies sinners, makes sinners right with him by faith in his promises. Later on, we read in the prophets in Habakkuk 2 that the righteous will live by his faith. Once again, we see that God is the one who declares sinners to be right with him, not on the basis of their works, not on the basis of their desire and effort, not on the basis of their deeds, but on the basis of their trusting and relying in God and his promise and power. That's what the law and the prophets Preached. That was the gospel that was foreshadowed in the law and the prophets. So the scriptures teach us that the righteousness of God comes to us through faith. And by the time you get to the apostolic writings, we see that the righteousness of God comes to us by faith in Jesus Christ. It is for all who believe, not for any who work. It is for all who trust the Lord, not for any who race and run. It is for those who simply rest and rely on the promise and power of God. Now Paul wants everyone to know, not just the Romans in those days, but also us. He wants everyone to know that the gospel of justification by faith is not a new doctrine, but an old doctrine. As it is written in the Law and the Prophets, God has always and only justified sinners by faith in God's promises apart from works of law, and that is the only way He ever justifies sinners. So there's not a gospel for the Old Testament saints and then a different gospel for the New Testament saints and then a different gospel for us in the 21st century. The Law and the Prophets testify to the same gospel that God justifies sinners by faith 
in Christ. But what is the source of justification? How does God do this? Romans 3, 23, and 24 explain to us the source of justification. The righteousness of God is through the faith or the faithfulness of Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. What is the source of justification? It is the grace of God, or as the Reformers taught us, sola gratia. It is the grace of God alone. It comes to us as a gift, not as a wage. In the context of Romans, Paul has been making the case that no one is righteous, no, not one. And since everyone has sinned and still falls short of the glory of God, that's his argument in 3, 23, uh, still falls short of the glory of God and still fails to live up to God's holy standard, how can any sinner ever get right with God? How can God make any sinner right with himself? And Paul makes it clear that the answer is not found in you or me or any one of us. It is not found in our good works. It is not found in our good desires. It is not found in our good efforts. It is not found in our good intentions. The answer is found in God alone, in His grace and mercy towards us. We are justified by His grace as a gift. And a gift is not something you earn. A gift is not something you work for. It's not something you achieve. That would be called a wage. The wage of our sin is death. You don't want what you've worked for. You don't want God to pay you what you've justly earned. But grace is different. It is a gift, and it is freely offered to you through the person and work of Jesus Christ. God justifies sinners by the free gift of His grace through the person and work of Jesus Christ on behalf of sinners. The question we might ask is, why? Why would God do such a thing? And we're going to see this, the ultimate reason for this in just a moment. But suffice it to say for now, based on what we just read, that God does this this way because He wants to. He does it like this because He wants to do it like this. It's for His pleasure. It's for His purpose. So when God justifies a sinner by grace, He is simply declaring that sinner to be righteous. He is declaring that sinner to be righteous, not because that sinner is righteous or deserves to be declared righteous. It's not even always because the sinner desires to be righteous. But it is because God delights to seek and save sinners. God alone, God's grace alone, is the source of justification. It is the source of getting right with God. What is the ground of our justification? What is the basis of our justification? 
Romans 3, 23 and 24, again, pointing to that, says the righteousness of God through the faith or the faithfulness of Jesus Christ for all who believe through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is the basis of our salvation. And we see here that the basis of our salvation is nothing other than the person and work of Jesus Christ alone. The basis of our salvation is not our faith. It is not our works. It is not Reformed theology. It is not Presbyterian convictions. It is not non-Presbyterian convictions. It is not our liturgy, it's not our mission, it's not our intention, it's not our motives, it's not our knowledge, our understanding of doctrine and theology, it's none of those things. It's not our good moral life, it's not our ability to change and repent, it's not in our perseverance. You see where I'm going with this? The ground of our justification is Christ alone. Not us, not you, not me. The ground and the basis of our salvation, of our getting right with God, is Christ alone. And more specifically, it is found in the cross of Christ alone. So when we think of the cross of Christ, we need to think that the cross is ground zero of our justification, ground zero of our redemption. For apart from the cross of Christ, apart from God's work in Christ at the cross, there is no hope, no possibility of forgiveness of sins or of salvation. When we see what God is doing in Christ at the cross, we need to see that this is God's work for us, not our work for God. At the cross, as Paul says in Romans 3, at the cross, God is the one who put Jesus forward as the propitiation by his blood. That simply means that God is the one who offered Jesus as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. The sacrifice, by the way, that simultaneously takes our sins far away from us and turns God's wrath away from us. This is God's gracious and faithful work in the person of Jesus Christ. At the cross, we see God doing for us in Christ what we could never do for ourselves. At the cross, we see Jesus dying the death that we deserve to die so that we might live the life that he deserved to live. That Jesus suffered all the wrath and the fury of God's judgment as if he were a sinner like us so that sinners like us might enjoy all of the rest and the peace and the life of God as a saint that he deserved to live. It's Jesus' blood shed for us at the cross that satisfies God's holy law. The life is in the blood. And it's this blood that shelters us from God's wrath and it secures our place in God's presence. Jesus is the only Redeemer of God's chosen people. He is the ground, the basis, the foundation of our justification. But questions remain, don't they? How do sinners access God's grace in Christ apart from works?
How can we lay hold of the grace of God that is offered to us freely in the Lord Jesus Christ? And Paul answers that by saying the means of our justification is faith. Sola fide. In Romans 3, 21 to 26, if you put one thing with another, you see that the righteousness of God has been manifested through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe and that sinners are justified by His grace as a gift to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness so that He might be just and the justifier of, those who, of the one who has faith in Jesus. If you read the scriptures long enough, you see that God often works through means. And this is one of those cases where God works through means to rescue and redeem sinners. He has determined that sinners may get grace, the grace they so desperately need in Christ, not by their works, desires, and efforts, but by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Again, it's not by faith in anyone or anything. It's not faith in the abstract, but faith in Christ alone. So the gift of grace may only be received by us, but it can never be achieved, merited, or earned by us. We cannot work for it. We cannot earn it. We cannot deserve it. It is a gift to be enjoyed by faith, not a work, a wage to uh, be earned by works. What we see in Romans 3 is that God has done everything necessary to redeem sinners from sin and death and wrath. That God has done everything necessary to make sinners right with Him by grace alone, in Christ alone. And that even includes by giving them the faith in Christ as a free gift. This ensures that no one can boast not even in his own faith. Romans 12 mentions to us that faith is a gift that comes to us by grace. And we are to exercise that faith for the glory of God and the good of others. And so none of us who have put our trust in Christ can even boast over those who have not put their trust in Christ, saying, well, at least we have the wisdom and the sense and the smarts to put our faith in Jesus. We can't even boast in that. We can simply boast in the Lord that He, in His tender mercies and love, gave us the gift of faith so that we may lay hold of the person and work of Christ by grace. So to be clear, the point of all of this is it's not that any faith in anything will get sinners right with God. The point is that only faith in Christ alone will get sinners right with God. And why is it like this? Because in God's design and purpose of things, He has determined that faith is only as good as its object. Our faith is only as strong as the one in whom we trust. And since we've put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, our faith is rock solid in Christ. A religious sinner who trusts in saints 
who trust in a moral code, who trust in a church, or trust in anything other than Christ, will not be declared right with God, cannot be declared right with God for this reason. The object of his faith is not able to save him. The object of his faith did not lay down his life for him, did not offer an acceptable sacrifice for his sins. But God in Christ presented Jesus as the one and only acceptable sacrifice for our sins. A non-religious person who trusts in his or her own heart or experience or social work or anything other than Christ will not be declared righteous and cannot get right with God for this reason. The object of their faith is not able to save them. Only sinners who trust in Christ alone by grace alone will be declared righteous and get right with God. Why? Because the object of our faith is mighty to save. So if any of you sinners ever wish to get right with God, all you ever need to do is this. The only thing you must do is this. Turn and trust in Christ alone. The means of our justification is by faith alone, apart from works. Or as the Reformers would say, it's sola fide. But what is the goal of justification? For many people, the goal of justification is simply the salvation of my soul, the forgiveness of my sins. And that's partially true. But there is a more ultimate goal that God has in mind, and I want you to see the whole truth of it now. In Romans 3, 21, then 25 to 26, we see that the goal of justification is soli deo gloria, the glory of God alone. The righteousness of God has been manifested. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So again, we've seen that the knowledge of justification comes from Scripture alone, and the source of justification is God's grace alone, and the ground of justification is Christ alone, and the means of justification is faith alone. And here we see the ultimate goal of justification is the glory of God alone. In the person and work of Christ, in redemption, in justifying sinners, God is showing off. He is revealing himself, his true character and nature. He is manifesting what is at his heart. And what's at his heart is his glory, is his grace, is his goodness towards sinners. The doctrine of justification reveals to us something true and beautiful and good about the triune God. It shows us that God is holy, but He's not hiding from us. It shows us that God is patient with sinners, and He doesn't wipe them out right away. It shows us that God is mercy, merciful towards sinners, and He doesn't always give us what we deserve. 
It shows us that God is gracious and faithful and that he worked hard to save sinners, harder than sinners worked to damn themselves. And he sacrificed more than we can imagine to save sinners and secure our salvation as he promised. We started by asking, how can sinners get right with God? But we end by answering, sinners get right with God by grace through faith in Christ alone. This is the doctrine of justification. The gospel of justification teaches us that God alone works by grace alone, in Christ alone, to save sinners alone, by faith alone, for the praise of His glorious grace alone. It has been said that justification is the article upon which the church stands or falls before God. It has also been said that justified means that in Christ, God looks at me just as if I'd never sinned. Both of those things are true. In our community, we say that justification is a one-time, for all-time act of God's free grace wherein God pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in His sight only for the righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. Now in light of all of these things, I ask you, do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of sinners? And do you receive and rest upon Him alone for your salvation as He has offered to you in the gospel? This is the word of faith that we proclaim. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, made right, declared right, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, no one who believes in him will be put to shame, not even you. And for this reason, the Lord bestows his riches on all who call on him, and that includes you. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So we urge you with all your heart, cry out to Him now. Call out to Him now. Confess your need of Him now. And He will swiftly save you from sin, death, and wrath for the sake of His Son, Jesus Christ. And Christ will make you right with God, just as right as He is with God.